again, everyone. I'm Brian Dinovellis. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. We are at episode 71. Hey, hope you're having a fabulous summer. College basketball, what is going on? This has turned into a 12-month-a-year sport. It's like the NFL and Major League Baseball, right? They're talking about the NFL 12 months out of the year. Same thing with Major League Baseball, right? We can't wait for the hot stove in the offseason. We can't wait for the NFL draft. Are we saying the same thing about college basketball? We can't wait for the offseason in college basketball. No, I, I, I think it's more of the opposite. Like, oh my God, here we go. Like, where is everybody going to end up? My head is spinning. And if you think fans feel that way about what has become of the college basketball offseason, how do you think coaches feel? Do you think they're a little burned out? We're not going to see, you know, coaches going on and on forever. And it's going to be a short life for coaches, not because they can't win, but because they can't put up with this unless something is done sooner than later. I mean, it's August 9th. Seton Hall still doesn't have a complete roster for this season. August 9th, we're waiting for them to fill their final two spots. Meanwhile, Rutgers just completed its roster on Sunday as Austin Williams, a 25-year-old from New Jersey, he last played for University of Hartford in 2022 and was a star. Don't get me wrong. But that's who Rutgers just brought in. And he's he sat out all of last year with a knee injury. So we don't know where uh, his knee is at and what he'll be able to give this year. But we anticipate him being, you know, a key part of this rotation. And if that's not going to blow your mind enough, out of nowhere, Oscar Palmquist does an about face. He transferred to Elon in May, had a had a change of heart, and now Palmquist returns. And really, it's a win-win for Palmquist and Rutgers as he's back on the banks. So here we are. The second week of August, Rutgers has its full 13 players with Cliff Amore anchoring the middle of that roster as they embarked on a basketball and goodwill tour of Africa and Portugal for a week and a half. What a great opportunity it is for the entire program. And on that note, who better to talk to? Let's bring in Mr. New Jersey Hoops himself, my good friend and colleague, Jerry Carino. Jerry, how you doing, brother? It's August, Dino, and we're talking basketball. Part of me loves that, and part of me hates it. It's football season, man. It's really odd <laughs> to be talking about rosters being finalized in August, but here we are. Well, as I said in my opening monologue, uh, NFL is 12 months a year. Major League Baseball has its hot stove. College basketball has turned into 12 months a year, uh, like it or not, for better or for worse, Jerry. Um, so listen, uh, let's talk about this Rutgers roster. Um, you know, this is a good time of the year for them to get out there and and see what they have. I think this this tour comes at a great time with so many new faces. I think when Steve Peichel had planned this, you know, he planned on having Paul Mulcahy, he and Cam Spencer, and 
that Memorial Day, you know, couple of weeks really shook them. How has Steve Peichel done uh, replacing? I mean, you don't fill those shoes, but considering what was out there so late in the game, he didn't do so poorly on paper. Yeah, Rutgers had to basically remodel on the fly. You know, I mean, they they were planning on bringing back Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy. They were going to be starters, you know, integral or at the very least integral players in their rotation. And uh, so you lose two players like that. There's a lot of experience there, and both have proven they could play at the Big Ten level. You know, Steve had to change things. And what he did was he basically went for – you know, more speed, uh, quickness, athleticism. Rutgers is going to play faster. Uh, he already had a point guard, Noah Fernandez from UMass, on board that I think he was, you know, Noah was going to be the point guard, maybe doing some platooning or sharing the backcourt with Mulcahy. Uh, and now it's it's Noah's team to run. And he's a more athletic player, can get to the basket better. Uh, and Steve likes the, what he's seen from him this offseason in terms of his ability to distribute the ball, which is obviously the number one thing for a point guard. Now, Steve brought in two other players who he wasn't expecting to have on this year's roster, who just signed with them, Austin Williams, uh, who's a transfer, who comes out of New Jersey, and and Jeremiah Williams, a, another guard transfer. Jeremiah Williams is probably not going to play this year. Right. He's a two-time transfer, almost certainly will, will be sitting out. The NCAA is not giving waivers for those two-time transfers. Uh, only in the most exceptional of circumstances, and as they should. I mean, it, they really should set the bar high because once you go down that road of allowing, you know, two-time, three-time, multiple-time transfers for undergrads, it's going to really impede on on people's ability to graduate. And that's that's the number one thing here. So I wouldn't count Jeremiah Williams as more than a practice player this year. Austin Williams, I think, you know, I'll have to help them in their guard rotation. So, and they brought back Oscar Palmquist, which is a surprise uh, Oscar had left in March, transferred to Elon, you know, wasn't really feeling comfortable down there. And they brought him back because they needed players. They needed some depth. They had some defections. And so they know they can count on him to do his thing and be reliable. So uh, I I don't think you can say Rutgers got better with with all this. I mean, how do you lose Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy, you know, that late and get better? I don't think you can say that right now. But they do have some intriguing new players, so we'll have to see how it fits together. So Rutgers fans obviously know Noah Fernandez very well, hitting that game-winning three for UMass uh, that beat Rutgers. Austin Williams is a player I saw a little bit at University of Hartford. And Jerry, he hasn't played in a couple of years, but when he did, he led Hartford to their first-ever NCAA tournament um, You know, appearance, uh, was most outstanding player of that tournament. It's the America East. I know it's not the Big Ten. Uh, he did sit out. I, I'm, I'm guessing his knee injury will be healed in time. But how does he fit into this picture, and how much can Steve Peichel expect from him to be able to play at this level? Well, they'll find out, but he's going to play because they they really only have four guards, you know, five guards, if you want to count the wings as guards. So he's, he's going to play. There's going to be a role for him off the bench. Uh, you know, I don't know. I know they like how they like his experience. He's 25 years old, you know. Right. He's been in four. He's been in four programs. This is what you get now. I mean, this is he's a man. <laughs> he's a totally grown man. So that's something that can be an asset, you know. And uh, 
Obviously, they like the way he fits in. He's going to accept his role. That's a su- super important thing. Like people say, bring in this player, bring in that player. Well, maybe this player or that player doesn't want this role. Like doesn't want to back up Noah Fernandez and doesn't want to back up Derek Simpson. You know, I think people people aren't signing on to do that, especially now when like every year you're going to monetize what you've accomplished and try to cash out on what you've accomplished. People don't want to sign up for backup roles for glue guy roles for rotation piece roles, especially that late in their careers. So they got a guy who's going to embrace his role, which is important. Uh, how well does he shoot? How well does he, does he pass? How well does he defend? I, I don't know. He hasn't didn't play last year. It's, you know, he hasn't played at this level, but they have Rutgers has had some success bringing guys up from the lower levels in the past. Remember Yaboa from Stony Brook uh, played a, a huge role. Um, in a team that won 20 games in, in, in uh, 2020. So Steve's got a pretty good eye for this thing, but the bottom line was, what are you going to get in July or August? This, if you put it in context, this is a really helpful addition. And, and how about the, the about face from Palmquist, Jerry, we have seen this, my head spinning every day. There are players who have committed uh, incoming freshmen transfers who had committed back in, April and May, and suddenly in July and August, well, certainly July, uh, they decommit their free agents again. And, and you know, all the piranhas are out there, you know, trying to feast on them. How is this possible? Not that I'm against what Omar Pomquist did. Uh, he's playing by the rules, but you're committed. And then suddenly something happens there. Uh, whether it's your fault or or the school's fault, and suddenly you're back in the portal or back where you started from. How well, there are that? no rules. There are no rules. I mean, okay. there are no. There's no rules. You know, you can just do whatever you want. I mean, that's basically it. Other than be a two-time transfer as an undergrad, that's the one rule the NCAA is holding on to, holding the line on. And you saw that this week, but they rejected some two-time transfer football players, prominent ones on big programs. And of course, here come here come the complainers and the. The people saying the claiming their victims and you know the media sob stories from national media who want no rules. There have to be some rules. Like you, you you if you allow two and three and four time transfers, people are never gonna graduate. You know how many credits people lose in these transfers? Sure. How, how much it impedes someone's graduate path to graduation. So people want no rules, and there mostly are no rules. And you know, the idea of signing a letter of intent, for example, like that's meaningless anymore. Right. There was uh, multiple high-profile recruits just decided this spring they wanted out of their letter of intent. Guy at Duke from from New Jersey at Duke did it. I, I want out, and they they got out. Right. Like so, what what is the point? There are no rules now. Who, who's to say they didn't take? I'm just saying four hundred thousand dollars in NIL money, and uh, and and run with that. We don't. There are no there are no rules now. In Palmquist's right. case, just to, to, in Oscar Palmquist's case. All right, so he's the first player. He's the first player to transfer out and back in the same offseason at Rutgers. Okay, the last player who actually transferred out and back was uh, Charlie Rigoloso. Was a walk on under <laughs> Mike Rice. He left. He played a year in Division Three, and then he came back a few years back. Great Good guy, boy. Charlie. Yeah. So, but to do to go to transfer out and back in the same offseason is just, you know, that's like peak college basketball twenty twenty three. But in Oscar's case in particular. Like my understanding is, and like he's not a high-profile player, so it's a little right. different than some of these other cases of people who've decommitted and and were shopping themselves around. 
Like that was not the case here. Oscar, it wasn't even known that he entered the transfer portal. He didn't make an he never made an announcement. He wasn't shopping himself around. You know, he 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 left for Elon thinking he was he was not going to get playing time with Gavin Griffiths coming in, high profile, four-star wing for Rutgers, with Cam Spencer and Paul Mulcahy back, you know, with Mawat Mag coming back from his knee injury. Oscar was going to be buried on Rutgers bench. And he wanted to play. Elon's a lower level program where he could play. So he transferred there. He went down there and he wasn't happy. Just for whatever reason, it wasn't a good fit. He wasn't comfortable there. He kind of wanted to come back if, if it was possible. And lo and behold, Rutgers needed people. I mean, they they needed to fill a roster out and they knew they could bring Oscar in and he wouldn't have to relearn the system and he would fit in and he would accept his role and he would, you know, he wouldn't come with an entourage of handlers and like people giving Pykele a hard time about his playing time. He wasn't coming back seeking to break the bank in NIL. So he just wanted to come back to where he was comfortable. Rutgers needed a body. So it just worked out. But it was weird and I think kind of symbolic in a way of the transient nature of today's sport. Yes. no, Well said, Jerry. All around. And and he's going to provide depth. And listen, if he hits threes, if he can defend, if he can prove his worth, then he will get minutes, whether he takes it away from Andre Hyatt or Mag or whomever the person is, uh, there are minutes there. Um, so the Rutgers has to be prepared too, Dino, because uh they have some injured players too. Um they so uh when will will Mag nine months, right? He got injured in, in February with the ACL. Yeah. It's typically nine months. So that puts him right at November, beginning of the season. Do you expect him to be playing against Princeton game one? Yeah, in- they think they're confident. I, they're confident they will be. They say he's doing really well in his rehab. The coaching staff's confident that he'll be back. But will he have rust to shake off? Will he have a minute's limitation? Could he have a setback once they really ratchet it up practice-wise in October? Uh, you know, I, he hasn't been cleared for contact yet. Uh, so you have to be prepared for all contingencies, which is why Oscar could get some time. But beyond beyond Mag, you know, Austin Williams is coming off a year where he didn't play because uh, of a knee injury. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, he hasn't been checked out by Rutgers doctors yet. That's probably going on this week or when they're on tour that brought their medical staff. So they they can't – this isn't the pros. They can't give him an exam before he comes and oh. reject him. I was just going to say that. Okay, so so no. – Okay, we have, you we agree to, to take him. You, you look at his knee after he signs that paperwork. So, like, no, um, this is this this one place where college isn't the pros yet. So, right, <laughs> they weren't able to look at him to evaluate his knee until he got on board. So, who knows? I mean, they think he'll play, but and at full steam. And also, Emmanuel Ogboli's hurt. You know, the backup center, the JUCO they brought into backup Cliff. He's coming off an ACL. He is not where Mag is in his recovery. So he he's behind, not behind Mag, but. They don't know when he's going to be back. It's he may probably may well miss the opener. And so, like, okay, Oscar doesn't play his position, but then you just you just down another body. So yeah, you you're going to probably use everybody. You're going to have 12 available scholarship guys with you know with three guys coming off major injuries. Out of the 12, the chances are pretty high. They're, and that's you don't know who else is going to get hurt. They're going to probably use all hands on deck. Hence welcoming Palmquist back with open arms oh without a doubt without a doubt and I I I, something tells me that he will he will see minutes and they will increase from last year so Jerry listen it's it's August 9th I get it but what is your projected starting five as of today 
probably, I mean, Fernandez is going to be the point guard, the UMass transfer. The ball's in his hands. Uh, again, I don't know that you want to read too much into how they play on the foreign tour, Dino, because they don't even know who they're going to be playing. Like, yeah, they know the name of the team, but they don't know if the team's going to have club guys, semi-pro guys, pro guys, local all-stars. They could be playing a team that's like a high school team. Sure. Or they could be playing a team loaded with pros. They're not, Steve told me they're not even going to know until they show up. Like those teams don't even know who's going to be there, who that they're facing. So I wouldn't read too much into it. They're not, Rutgers is not going to televise, live stream their games for that reason. Like they don't, they don't, they don't, Steve wants to experiment and they don't need overreactions on who's starting, who gets how many minutes. You know, you'll get a, you'll get a box score. Maybe that's about it out of these games. But I'm guessing I haven't seen them yet. You know, I like to go and see them once a summer. I didn't get to see them this summer because they didn't have a team. I mean, they they only had a partial team. So I decided to wait until September to go see him. I will after Labor Day. Fernandez at point guard. Uh, Derek Simpson, I think, will play the off guard spot. Uh, that's just, It's his time. You know, I think he's ready to make that leap. And Gavin Griffith's going to start. I'm sure he's going to start sure. from day one. Steve doesn't usually do that with freshmen, but he's really good. So he'll be a third guard or a wing, however you want to characterize him, three guard or wing. Uh, and then... You know, Moat Mag, assuming he continues on his path and his back, will start at the four. And then, of course, Cliff Omori will be the five and all Big Ten staple in the middle. I think that'll probably be a starting five if, if uh, you know, Mag continues to heal, as we all expect. And if he doesn't, maybe an Andre Hyatt, who who certainly, you know, started last year in his absence. Uh, I don't know if Wolfolk will be ready to start, but. but uh, yeah, hard to say. Maybe Hyatt because of his experience. But right. I think that's. We'll have to see. That remain all remains to be seen. Sure. Uh, for now, for I think that's the five guys Steve would like to put out there, you know, in the opener against Princeton, which should be fun on November sixth. Yeah. So, so Jerry, thank you. You brought me right into it. All right. Finally, we've been we've been screaming for for a few years. You know, why doesn't Rutgers beef up its non conference schedule? You know, they keep playing the three hundredth toughest non conference schedule, whatever it is, and here they are, uh, re you know, bringing back their, their uh, New Jersey rivalry with Princeton. We love it. Neutral site in Trenton and the game against Mississippi state an NCAA tournament team uh, in the Gotham classic at the Prudential center, you know, both games, even though they're neutral sites should be heavy with Rutgers fans. Yeah. These are the shrewd moves. I think by Steve, because you have the, the, the metrics benefit of playing at a neutral site for your resume. Uh, you, have, you have two solid opponents, one is a really sexy rivalry game for the locals, Princeton. And then, you know, the place is going to be crawling with Rutgers fans, so it'll feel like home. The Mississippi State game, there'll be all Rutgers fans there. Mississippi State has no fans. <laughs> well, nobody in this part of the country. And then, so that'll be all Rutgers fans. I think Princeton will bring their people. It'll be majority Rutgers. Princeton will have their contingent there, though. But I love the neutral site games. I think it's great for the sport in, in New Jersey. Uh, it's good for fans. Like It's hard to get a ticket to... To the rack now, Jersey Mike's Arena. Sold most of the games are sold out, so it's a chance for fans from different parts of the state or who don't have tickets already to see the team. Uh, and look, it's been a long time coming against Princeton. It's been ten years. Steve didn't end the series. That was Eddie Jordan who ended it. But Steve, you know, he's been we've been pushing him. We, the media, I think a lot of old school boosters, people on the inside have been pushing him to pick that series back up uh, because. You know, listen, there's great history there. They played for 100 years. The two schools played the first college football game ever. Uh, they, they're right down the road from each other. Princeton's got a good program. And so 
And this is a great way to open the season. I love it. I can't wait for the game. Uh, I think Princeton won't be as good. They'll still be decent. They won't be as good. They lost some really good players. But coming off a of Sweet 16 for them, there's going to be a lot of juice. It's a good schedule for Rutgers. It's the best one they've had at a conference since Steve Peichel took over the program seven years ago. It's a big step in the right direction. Next year, when you know we all think Rutgers is going to have this loaded team with all these all these uh, big-time recruits, et cetera, next year it will be time to add a Feast Week, Thanksgiving Week tournament to the, to the agenda. Uh, but that's – you know, Steve's not there yet. This is definitely a step in the right direction. It can't be helped that they drew, you know, Georgetown, which is going to be lousy at home. They drew him in the Gavit games. That was the Big East and Big Ten's doing. That's not Rutgers' fault that that game stinks from a competitive standpoint. Uh, but, you know, they are playing at, at Seton Hall, too, which should be a decent game. It's on the road. So there's it's it's a schedule that is has gotten better. Uh, and... You know, I'm really excited for that opener, as I think every New Jersey college basketball fan should be. Yeah, and it's great for Princeton, too, because Princeton has struggled. Mitch Henderson was saying, hey, I'll play anybody. Nobody wants so, to play them, Steve, right. uh, Dino. So, Nobody wants to play them. You know, they have, it's impossible for them to get high majors. They were they were supposed to be in a, in a tournament this year, in a Feast Week tournament, and the team they were drawn up against through, a, through just a five-year-old tantrum about it, the tantrum is the level of a five-year-old, Who's this? Really? I'm not, I'm not going to say. Oh, Jerry. Totally crapped, totally crapped in their diaper. And so I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But this is what Princeton has to deal with. Um, and, uh, you know, so for them to get not just any high major, but, you know, Rutgers, a historic rival in state back on the schedule is a huge deal for Princeton. And I know they're all really fired up about it. Yes. Yes. Good. Good for them. And, and, you know, shame on that that team. I mean, come on. You know, they're they're crying in their in their diapers yeah. about playing. But yes, playing. and that's and that's an extreme example. But that's like a symbolic of what Mitch Henderson's face as he's tried to schedule over the past few years. Right. You know, right. nobody and, nobody wants to touch him. There was some there was some talk of of Princeton playing Seton Hall in the Never Forget Tribute Classic, uh, which is in 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 Newark every no every December. Uh, but there was conflicts with, I guess, other Seton Hall dates that were already booked. But yeah, this is something that like Seton Hall should play Princeton, Rutgers should play Princeton. They don't, they don't hold the ball anymore, you know, right. and run that backdoor offense and do that anymore. Like teams don't want to play that because it was hard to play, it was hard to prepare for, it was you know, unusual, boring, etc. Like they don't, they don't play that way anymore. If you watch, they shoot three, you know that they <laughs> they score the ball, man. They shoot they. they they push it and shoot away. So, you know, it's those those old misconceptions got to go. And like maybe Rutgers playing them in this opener will help will help you know, shed that notion for other high majors who might otherwise be inclined to run away from them like a leper. Right. <laughs> that should be a great great atmosphere in Trenton. Perfect arena for it uh, to open the basketball season for both teams. Jerry, you alluded to Rutgers recruiting class. I mean, I, I know it's just crystal ball things. I know it's hypothetical, you know, guesswork. But, I mean, all signs are pointing towards Dylan Harper, the number one recruit in the country, picking Rutgers over Duke and Indiana. I mean, is it more likely to happen than not? Yeah, that's the expectation that he'll commit to Rutgers sometime over the next few weeks. Uh, it's, you know, you that's, I mean, people who are much more plugged into recruiting than me uh, seem to believe that. And it makes, it makes sense when you think about 
the relationship that his family already has with the Rutgers coaching staff, Steve Peichel, Brandon Knight, you know, the Harpers trust, trust them. Uh, that's important. And obviously Ron had a terrific experience there. Yeah. And so, you know, it does make sense. It's not coach K is not around anymore. Like the idea of beating Duke for a recruit for Rutgers would have seemed impossible a few years ago. Think about it. They lost, they lost Jay Williams to Duke. You know, Rutgers, they had thought they had him in the bag. They lost uh, Lance Thomas Lance to Duke. Thomas, yep. And then Dante Jones, of course, transferred from Rutgers to Duke. So now it looks like the chances are very high that Rutgers gets one back. But, you know, Coach K's gone. And what is what is Shire, John Shire done? What has he done to promote any trust from the Harper family or anybody? He's done nothing. Coach one year. It's not Coach K. So this is a good, the fortuitous uh, break of events and one that's you could say that Rucker staff is earned by the way they handled you know the way they they helped Ron uh, grow as a player and as a person so yeah this look they, they have a season to play now but there's going to be a lot of buzz about the 24-25 Scarlet Knights when they pre- presumably projectedly bring in the number one recruiting class in the country think about that oh no no question and, and who would have thought that that ever could have happened you know the way Rutgers when they went to the Big Ten and how low this program was. Uh, not any Rutgers fan in their wildest dreams could have ever imagined that. I know it's not done until they get on campus, but boy, oh boy, if Steve Peichel could ever put that number one class together uh, and see them play, Ace Bailey and so forth, that would be that would be something. And it would be fascinating to see how Steve how Steve coaches players of that of that pedigree when he was he's never done. You know, his whole career he's coached grinder under the radar guys has really been his forte so this will be new territory for him for Rutgers fans for those of us who cover the team will be fascinating yeah and you've documented all of those under the radar guys that right. were ranked 400th and and so oh yeah uh, done a great job doing that Jerry couple more questions uh one about this tour and one about last you know prediction for the upcoming season um what does Rutgers expect to get out of this this tour uh, not just basketball-wise, but also culturally. I mean, they're they're going to an area in Senegal that, that was, you know, the, the center of the slave trade 400 years ago. This is fascinating. There's a lot that Rutgers gets a lot out of this trip off the court. I think, like you said, like you mentioned, they, it's a cultural experience going to Africa. They have they have three players who came from Africa on the team, and I think one or two more with pretty close African roots, like first generation American type. So. For them, this is really like a, going back to their roots. And uh, not many schools, you know, programs go to Africa. I mean, it's, you see a lot of foreign tours in Europe. You don't see a whole lot in, in Africa because right. you got to get a lot of vaccinations. And, you know, the, the you have to figure out where to go. There's not a well-worn path there. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to see uh, the, the island of Goree, which, is, which was a slave trading capital of the West African coast. Uh, which is really well preserved, like the slave quarters and the castles that the overseers lived in. So that should be a very moving experience. Uh, they're going to do a sightseeing safari, have lunch in an animal preserve. I mean, that'll be really cool. And this is, you know, it's a chance to bond. It's a chance for Steve to connect and his coaches to connect with these guys as people and not just with that player coach hat on. Uh, it's a chance for Steve to see who his leaders are, you know, who, does he have clear leaders? I mean, you know, Cam and Paul might have been those guys. Does he have clear leaders on this team? Like this is a you can discern leadership type things when you go on a, an odyssey like this. So 
So, and, and obviously in the games they play, he'll be looking for leadership type stuff, even more than, you know, technical and X's and O's stuff. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be gained. Also, it should be noted that uh, that Senegal, Dakar, where they're going, the capital mm-hmm. city, is the host to to uh, to NBA, the NBA's uh, Basketball Academy Africa, which is like the place where the top recruits, uh, potential NBA or pro players from Africa, go for training. You know, and that's where they're identified, and and a lot. It's a pipeline to to the U.S. for top African players. Great recruiting. Uh, you know, recruiting uh, opportunity there to to go see that place and connect there. Steve Hayne, who's on Rucker's staff, has been there before. That's the connection. Like he had he had taken, I think he had recruited there for a smaller school that he coached or taken his pr- program there one summer. So he knows people there. So they're going to see that. And then also you have NIL opportunities, right? For these foreign-born players, you can't you can't draw up an NIL contract in the United States. There's rules with that. It's partial NCA rules and there's visa rules with the, you know, the government. Mm-hmm. So this is a chance for Cliff, uh, Mawat Mag, and uh, Emmanuel Ogbali to get uh, to get NIL. It's a contract window for them to get NIL opportunities while they're there, which I'm sure they'll take advantage of. Fantastic. Jerry, one more thing. Uh, it seems like Rutgers may take a step back this year before really making a leap the following year, uh, they've won. They've been at 500 in the Big Ten four straight years, 500 or better for four straight years. Will that streak continue this year? I, I don't know. I can't answer that yet. Uh, OK, <laughs> you know, it's it's August. And I know the rest of the the, the whole summer has been <laughs> college basketball talk. But like I haven't seen the team. I haven't really studied some of these other teams don't have finished rosters either. You know, I haven't really studied the other rosters yet. Like, I'll I'll see Rutgers play a couple times in September. I'll have a better sense. And then I'll really drill down in October before I cast my, you know, AP Top 25 ballot as to where everybody else in the league stands. Um, but I have to see, like, Noah Fernandez run a pick and roll with Cliff Amore, you know, before I can answer that. I got to see if – can Austin Williams really defend? You know, what can he do with the ball in his hands uh, against – at this level? I have a really good idea that Gavin Griffiths is going to be terrific having seen him play against high level competition in high school, but I haven't seen him in the context of a Rutgers basketball practice yet. You know, I haven't seen Derek Simpson with, with his expanded role. And so there's a lot of, I haven't seen there yet. So I can't really say, like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, my initial instinct is on paper. Now it's hard to say, it's hard to argue. They got better when they lost Caleb McConnell you know, one of the nation's elite defenders, maybe the very best perimeter defender in the country and a five-year staple, Paul Mulcahy and Cam Spencer, they lost those three guys. It's hard for me to say that they got better on paper, but could they be better? Of course they could be better, but I just don't know, Dino, until I see him. Um, we'll see, but they have, you know, this this summer was so wild that I don't know that Steve Peichel really can answer that yet either. Like, it's just the the... The dust is still settling and it's August 10th and that's college basketball in 2023. All right, Jerry, fair enough. Uh, If anyone knows this Rutgers team, it's you. We will wait for that prediction in a couple of months. Uh, And look, Seton Hall hasn't completed their roster either. So that's right. That's a story for another day. Uh, and and we hope that they get theirs completed over the next couple of weeks. Jerry, and when they do get back to me and we talk Seton Hall. All right. 
I, I'll hold you to it, Jerry. Always good talking to you. And um, I'm sure you're writing articles on the beach these days with your with your family. I, I did on Saturday. I tell you what, when they got a commitment Saturday, I was on the beach. See that? Yes. Right, brother, it never stops. Never. Jerry, good talking to you. Good seeing you. All right. Uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks. All right. He is the NJ Hoops guru, Jerry Carino, always bringing his best stuff. And listen, we'll give him a pass. All right. I personally think at this point, it's going to be tough for Rutgers to keep that streak alive. But if anyone can put this team together come February, we know it's Steve Peichel. All right. Meanwhile, UConn wrapped up its international trip. They finished 3-0 for what it's worth. They were in France and Spain and Monaco. A few observations here. All right. And I know I'm looking at box scores and, and reading articles and, and seeing some brief highlights on the Internet. All right. Uh, and UConn fans follow this as well. Interesting that that Hurley went with uh, his veterans starting five in all three games. And and why shouldn't he? Right. Why should he put that pressure on on uh, the incoming freshman or, or Samson Johnson? Uh, but it was Caravan, Klingon, Newton, Diara and the newcomer, Cam Spencer, who is just, you know, listen, that guy, as soon as he puts his sneakers on, you know, he comes out of the bed shooting. We saw what he did at Rutgers, and he is going to do that and more this year uh, for UConn. Cam Spencer, book it now, will be an elite shooter in the Big East. He will be one of the top. I will put him in the top three in three-point shooting attempts, three-point shoot shooting uh, makes, attempts. I don't know about percentage. That's always tough to predict, especially with – you know, what's the minimum amount of shots you have to take? But book it right now. Cam Spencer will be in the top three in the Big East in free throw in sh three-point shooting attempts and makes. All right, that's one observation. Another one, Stefan Castle. Stefan Castle, we know what he what he was in high school. All right, McDonald's All-American, five-star, uh, top 15, top 12, top 10 in the country, all right? Castle will be, will likely be the preseason Big East freshman of the year, all right? He came off the bench in all three of these games and still led a talented UConn team in scoring. Throw the competition out the window. I get that. But on a team with Alex Caravan, who will likely be preseason all Big East, and Donovan Klingon, who will be preseason All-Big East, all right, could be an All-American, all right? When you have players like that of that caliber and you're an incoming freshman, haven't played one college game yet, and you're out there with your teammates and you lead the team in scoring at 16.7 points per game, that is worth noting. Now, will he do that over the entire Big East season and, and UConn's you know, 35 plus game season, he could. I'm not saying he will, but that is worth noting. And it won't be long before Castle is in the starting lineup for UConn. Another player of note that raised my eyebrows, Solomon Ball, another highly heralded incoming freshman. He will make an impact this year. 
coming off the bench, he will see significant minutes and add to this team's depth and talent. And Samson Johnson has served notice. He will be a factor. All right? He will get rebounds. He will get points. We're going to see what we missed from Samson Johnson last year when he started game one for UConn before going down with a significant injury that cost him the season. So those are my observations. UConn looks eight, very talented, eight deep. All right. With Johnson, Castle and Ball being in the rotation and Castle eventually becoming a starter, in my opinion. The last observation I want to make about UConn is we heard all this talk for weeks, weeks. They were going to the Big 12. Is today the day they're going to the Big 12? Well, where are we today? The Big 12 has added Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, not UConn. It, it's, it's like 2012, 2013 all over again. When UConn was scrambling, right, the Big East and, and the Catholic Seven were keeping the Big East intact and telling UConn, we don't want you anymore. And all the other conferences, the ACC didn't want them. The SEC didn't want them. Now the Big 12 doesn't want them. Why? Because of football. Take your field hockey national championships, your men's basketball, your women's basketball national championships, your, your baseball, your men's soccer championships, national championships, put them all together. It doesn't matter because football rules the roost and UConn, unfortunately, will likely never, never, ever have a big time coveted college football program. Now, could the ACC come in? And, you know, when all the dust settles and all these other schools, uh, Teams leave the ACC. Could UConn go there? I could see that happening. But it's all just speculation at this point. And for now, and the foreseeable future, UConn remains in the Big East, which, in my opinion, is where they belong. All right, that'll do it. We, we had a great discussion with Jerry Carino about Rutgers. Touched upon UConn. When Seton Hall finalizes its roster, I promise to have a podcast at that point in time. Until then, enjoy the rest of your summer. Enjoy the great weather, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.